Hi, everyone, and welcome to How to College, our podcast where we get together over some coffee and have some real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation college student and what that means before, during, and after college. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about what it means to be a first-gen, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges that we've experienced before. My name is Joseph, I'm one of the podcast hosts, and I am the first in my family to go to college. Today, we'll actually be diving into the topic of imposter syndrome as a part of a three-part series where we'll get the perspectives of some first-gen friends and their experiences before, during, and after college. To preface, this is one of those topics that a lot of people in general struggle with throughout their lives and that first-generation students in particular have on their plate in addition to the many other things that we plan on discussing in the future. College can be stressful, being the first to do anything can be stressful, having both of those happen at the same time while others around you seem to get by effortlessly or have resources to pull on that have prepared them for this can be extra intimidating, and it can make you feel like you're out of place. If you feel different from those around you and less prepared for knowing what college actually is, just through circumstance, really, it can make you feel like you need to fake it until you make it. As time goes on, it can feel a bit like a charade or like you're trying to be somebody that you're not, and it starts to weigh down. This is imposter syndrome. A lot of times, we feel it without really putting a name to it. It can make you doubt yourself, your achievements, and lead you into some thought patterns that can start small, but can then spiral and negatively impact your life, health, academics, and relationships with those around you. This series is an opportunity to explore this together. With that being said, let's dive in. Today, as the second part of this three-part series, we'll be talking with Jasmine Rocha, a rising college junior at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Jasmine. Thank you so much for being here. Could you go ahead and introduce yourself in a couple sentences? Hello, I'm Jasmine Rocha. I'm a first-gen college student. I went to Young Women's College Preparatory Academy in Houston, and I'm currently a rising junior at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. And I'm majoring in mathematics. That's awesome. I really enjoyed math in like high school. And then whenever I got to college, it was so daunting. I went to this class that was like an advanced math seminar for like advanced students. And I get there and there's this 12 year old in the class who is showing everybody up. And he's just like answering questions whenever I'm trying to really even understand like what the professor is talking about. I just feel like so intimidated by this kid. Throughout the entire class, I could not concentrate because I was just like, this kid is ridiculous. Like I'm in the wrong place. The entire time I was just thinking about that, that I wasn't even concentrating on class. That was like my first exposure. It blew me out of the water initially, but afterwards I talked to some people in the class and figured out that they were all intimidated by that kid too. They didn't really know what was going on and that kid threw them off. So I like was not the only one. That kid was just a random outlier, but he was one of those squeaky wheels that everybody pays attention to. And so you think that that's the norm when in reality, that's definitely an outlier. But that's really cool. How are you liking the math major so far? Well, I just recently actually changed my major. I was a computer science major with a minor in math. And now I'm a math major with a minor in computer science. But I really like math. It's been really fun. I definitely have felt that I'm not good enough to be in the class, (laughs) especially with proofing. Like doing proofs in math is so hard. It's one of the hardest things I've done. And I'm just like, I don't think I like the proof part of the math. But my favorite classes in math have been calculus, especially Cal 2 and Cal 3 have been my favorite classes that I've taken. 
Do you know what you want to do after college? To be honest, I don't really know. Because when I was doing computer science, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a programmer. I'm ready to go into industry. And then when I changed my major, which I kind of changed it really quickly, it was a little bit of an impulse decision. But I knew that it was going to be a good impulse decision. Now I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with math. I still want to work in the industry. Definitely, that's why I kept the minor in computer science. But I'm just not super great at programming. But I still want to be in the process of making things that would help other people. What was your reason for switching majors? I do believe my biggest reason was I just didn't enjoy programming. Programming was really hard. I had a lot of support in all my classes. My friends were definitely really nice and they would always help me out. But because they always helped me out, I always felt really bad. And I always felt like, well, I'm not good enough to be here. That, I think, was the main reason why I left computer science and changed my major to math. I just didn't want to feel that way. It's not that I don't like computer science. I love it. The teachers are amazing, especially the head in the computer science department. She's always been so supportive and she's always helped me out she even gave me a job one summer i just it it didn't feel right and i definitely don't like programming that's totally fair and those are all super valid i completely agree with you whenever i started out doing some programming in college i just felt like i wasn't very good at it i thought it was so cool it just takes so much time and i felt like everybody else either picked up programming really quickly i mean the class that i was taking was actually on algorithms but i felt like everybody else had a head start with programming did you end up having any prior exposure to programming i had a little bit of prior exposure to programming so the high school i went was very stem based and i took two programming classes and i really liked it but it was very simple programming so when i went to college i was just thrown with complicated stuff i also took a class in algorithms that was the hardest programming class i've taken by far That's better than no exposure at all. But at the same time, I guess it was a little bit. It wasn't like you had done programming in your spare time as a high school student. Yeah, in high school, we didn't really learn a programming language. It was like the different programs that college students made where you were like drag a block and then you could look at the programming. But when I was a high school student, I didn't really look at the actual program. I would just drag the blocks and be like, I created something. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like teaching the like high level concepts of how programming works rather than specifically focusing or learning that as a side effect of learning a language. But I did learn a lot. I was able to catch on the concepts when I took programming one on fairly quickly. So that was nice. But when it came to the actual typing and programming part, no, that was really difficult. With that being said, you switched from computer science to do math. Was that because you felt that you were better at math? I think in a way I was a little bit better at math than programming, but not not like great or amazing. I still really struggle with math. It definitely takes me a long time to understand a concept after class. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing when I'm doing my homework. No, I feel that. I had no idea what I was doing throughout most of college anyway. But somehow we uh, still get it done. What does your friend group look like, by the way? Like, are they also computer science? Are they math majors? Are they kind of the board. So I don't have any math major friends, which I really wish I had math major friends because then I could ask them for help. So it's been really hard. I'm really shy. So when I change my major and there's people in my class, I don't really talk to anybody. So when it was time to take the midterm, I had nobody to study with and I'd rather study with someone. But like, it's okay. So my friend group consists of two of my friends are programming and I met them in programming, obviously. My other friend, she's a biochem major and my other friend is 
criminal justice. It's good to have like a diverse friend group. It's really nice to have people to work on problem sets with and to keep you accountable and to fulfill that social need and then also the academic need that you have to have in college. So I'm glad you got that criminal justice friend in there. That way you're at least then also able to not talk about school with certain friends, right? Like I loved my econ friends and my psych friends, but it was also really nice to not talk about econ and psych with different people. Usually though, when I meet someone new and they find out I'm a math major, they're like, oh, can you help me with this math? And I'm just like, I don't know, that was a long time ago. I feel the same way. I feel like it's more about you did it in the past. You're probably going to forget it if you don't use it over time. So I guess along the same route of the major and your reasonings with moving from comp sci to math, were you concerned about GPA? Well, I should probably worry more about GPA, but I mean, I do worry about GPA. The main reason I worry about GPA is because of my scholarship. My first semester in college, my GPA was a little lower than what required for the scholarship. I needed a 3.0 GPA for a scholarship. So they sent me this warning email and I was like, oh no. So my next semester, I panicked and I was just like, I, I need to get my grades up. Thankfully, I did. I got my GPA above a 3.0 and I kept my scholarship. That is a little scary, but honestly, it's your first semester. I'm pretty sure they're used to that. I feel like that is my story. I think my first semester I got like a 2.8 and then I was like, I'm not used to anything under like a 3.8. Definitely. I also had above a 3.0 in high school. So when my first semester came in, I was really sad. And then I got the email and then I was scared. I think it's especially more difficult in the very beginning, even if some of the classes get harder as you go along. Just because you're getting used to a new environment, you're trying to do a lot of different things at once as time goes on, you'll find that in your junior, senior year, even with some of the more difficult classes and the capstones, you're at least a little bit more prepared. Hopefully. But yes, I'm getting more used to everything. I specifically remember I was worried about my first advanced math classes. I had gotten like a low grade on the first exam and I was super worried that I would basically end up having a repeat of freshman year where my GPA was below 3.0 and then I, I think I ended up studying for the final starting from Thanksgiving break. I was terrified. I was, I'm gonna like fail this class. I think I had practiced everything so much out of this fear. By the end of it, I went to the final and I was just like, I know how to do every problem except for one. And I don't think I had ever had that feeling before. And I was just like, I don't know if this is me being overconfident or not. Walked out of there, talked to some other classmates, and they were really worried about it because they said that it was really difficult. And then I started getting more worried about it too. I think I ended up getting a 95 with the curve. And I think the the professor, because I had went to all of his like tutorial classes, emailed him. I was like so worried about this class. And then he was just like, great improvement. That happened with me with calculus. So for my Cal 1 class, I got a C in that class. I was so sad. So when I took Cal 2, I put all my effort into it. I passed that class with an A. I've never been so happy. And then Cal 3, I was just like, I'm going to do the same what I did with Cal 2. Bam, got an A on that class too. <laughs> Dang, girl. That's, uh, that's really awesome. That's impressive. See, I love calculus. I really click with calculus. My other math class, I struggled more. Like linear algebra, discrete mathematics. That's because those classes have a bunch of proofs, and those are the ones that really get me. See, it's not that I, like, definitely hate proofs. I just, it's just difficult, and I struggle with it. But I do like the idea of how you start to prove something. Because when I finally do get a proof, it's so, it's so fun to do it. When I understand it, I love doing it. When I don't understand it, that's when I don't like doing it. On that note... 
Let's talk a little bit more specifically about imposter syndrome. Have you heard of imposter syndrome? I mean, honestly, all I really knew about imposter syndrome was just the feeling of not belonging. That's basically what it is, right? It's the feeling of not belonging. Where did you hear about it? I think it was in high school. So our college counselor would tell us about this. In my high school, a lot of us were first generation. And he himself was a first generation student. So I think he was trying to like prepare us. But it was just short. He didn't go too deep into it. We had to work out on a lot of other things at the time. I mean, the class was not necessarily about preparing us mentally, just to prepare us applying. And it was to prepare us how to work. He didn't go too deep into the mental aspect of it, just applying to college, looking over colleges, and just different things. I know that makes sense. Just kind of what is college from like a high-level point of view, and how does the process work to apply to college and go to college? Yeah. What has your experience with imposter syndrome been? I noticed that I felt imposter syndrome since I've been in high school. Because a lot of the students there had attended this school since middle school. Because it was a middle school to high school kind of school. And they already knew each other. And it was just a few of us that were new. And all and all of us that were new, we made our own little bubble. And as the years went by, I felt it even more. Because they would always say they were the originals. Because they're the ones who have been there since sixth grade all the way. But for me, it was with a lot of different groups because I was friends with a lot of people. So I wasn't connected to one single group. I felt disconnected to all of the groups I was part of. In relation to imposter syndrome, where do you think that feeling comes from? I think it comes from I don't have the self-confidence that I wish I had. And it just got worse from my freshman year to my senior year of high school. And I developed depression. Okay, so it was in high school, mostly. Mm Yeah, and it still carries on now to college. I still struggle a little bit with my depression and anxiety. It's not as bad as it was, but that contributes to me feeling imposter syndrome in all of my classes and all of my extracurricular activities. I think that a lot of the times imposter syndrome does come from that balance and fluctuation of confidence along with anxiety. A lot of the times with negative emotions, they tend to create this positive feedback loop where you're in your head thinking about those negative emotions and that's the space that you're in. And if your environment is one of those things that's causing it, it makes you think in a certain way that makes you perceive your environment in a way that accentuates the feeling in itself. And so it just grows over time. So do you think that experiencing imposter syndrome in high school has helped you in college? I just got so used to that feeling of being an imposter in high school that for me, it made it more normal to feel it in college. And since it seemed more normal, the more I felt it, the less I tried to do something about it until I actually realized that it was not doing me any good. And after talking to some of my friends, they convinced me to go to counseling. And that has helped a lot. That's really awesome, by the way. I think that one, having friends to talk to about this kind of thing is really helpful because it helps you know that you're not alone with those feelings and helps you get in a better positive mindset and hopefully pick yourself out of that line of thinking. But I think that whenever it's gotten to a certain point, it takes a lot of work to dig yourself out of that hole and it effectively becomes getting yourself out of debt. 
that. And I think that it's really awesome that you were able to talk about that with your friends, recognize the issue and take action from that to help yourself feel better and work better. Now, it was definitely difficult. You know, I was kind of scared. But now that I look back into it, I'm really, really happy I did it. I still struggle with imposter syndrome because switching my major, having like a ton of friends in computer science to having almost no friends in mathematics, it was really hard because I miss having friends that could help me and like help each other out with the classes. But I can now definitely deal with it better. But the math department has been really nice, actually. My professor has been really encouraging me. And even my old professor in computer science she was really nice when i had to get her signature to change my major it was a very difficult conversation because there's not that many girls in computer science and the girls in computer science are usually her favorite students and just finding out that i was leaving she was really sad and i was really sad but she was definitely encouraging me to go do what makes me happier That bond that you have with the professor, that's really awesome. I think that more students should probably try to develop that if possible, because I think that's pretty rare. And I also think that can help you as you move along in the major and then also just how as you move along in college and in life. Talking about imposter syndrome and then the roots of that, do you think that that affects how you think about college and the future? I think so. Like I said, I did really get used to that feeling. So when I go into a new environment, which soon after I graduate, hopefully I get a job, I am going to feel like I don't belong. But hopefully, hopefully, I don't feel too much. Like I don't feel like I don't belong as much as I do now. With a large company, you find that they might hire a lot of people your age. And so you can bond with those people if you're in a new city. And then if you go to a smaller company, I found that smaller companies, smaller teams usually means a little bit closer knit of a community. How do you think about minimizing that effect? That's really hard. That's such a hard question. The reason I feel so much imposter syndrome is because I don't feel good enough. So what I've been trying to do is try to ask for more help. If I'm struggling in something, I definitely want to ask for more help. But it's really hard because I'm really shy. But this coming semester, I told myself, if I need help in my math classes, I'm going to ask my professor. Because the one thing that scares me the most <laughs> is for a professor to know that I'm kind of dumb. But I'm just like, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I got to go ask him for help. I remember that feeling of trying to not be the one that asks the dumb question. And then I would kind of think about that in my mind for like a minute or two. And then the moment for asking the question passes and they moved on to something else. Or even just debating whether or not to go to the office hours because I don't necessarily feel like I'm prepped enough to go to the office hours. And in reality, going to the office hours is better than not going to the office hours. What I've helped that made me less scared to like try and go as a professor is to create a bond with your professor. So for the professor I have, I joined the math club because he's the one that oversees the math club. And there's been a couple of times where I've been able to like have a conversation with him that's not about school and math. We had a conversation about his wife cookies. I really wanted to know the recipe because they're really good. And he was like, I don't know if my wife is okay with that. <laughs> Did you end up getting the recipe? No, I never got the recipe. <laughs> also, to minimize the effect, you recommend creating a bond with your professors. And to do that, you ended up taking their extracurricular route with the math club. Do yeah. you think that that also helps you get additional friends within that group as well? 
Yes, with math club, I met this girl. She was already a senior when I joined, so she already graduated. We were friends in math club. It felt way nicer. I was like, I finally have a friend in math. But then she graduated, so now I have to go ahead and make more friends in math. And math club just helps. It, it makes it easier because there's not that many students in math club like there's in class. So it makes me feel less anxious. And doing activity together, it helps. I would have imagined that the math major in general would have been a smaller group of people. So you would have been able to ask more questions. Math major is a small group of people. It's just that a lot of other students take math. Uh, You have your engineering students, your computer science students. A lot of the STEM majors take math. But I think as I keep going my degree, the classes are going to get smaller. But as of right now, they've been pretty big. With the anxiety that you feel, how do you end up reassuring yourself whenever you feel anxious or out of place? Well, with the anxiety, it's something I recently found out that I kind of had to deal with. So I've been struggling a bit. But for me to help it, I just stop and think and breathe to calm myself down. I don't know. Anxiety is hard. One of the biggest things I remember, my first anxiety attack I ever had was at a retreat. It was the chapel choir retreat. After we sang for mass, I started having an attack. And I didn't know what that was. It was completely new. So I was super scared. But one of the alumni that went to the retreat, she helped me out because she knew a friend who also dealt with that. And she was like, you know, all you have to do is just like stop and like breathe. And since that first time, whenever I feel very anxious, I just stop and breathe. That's really lucky that whenever you felt that you were able to be near other people and it just happens that one of those people had experience with anxiety attacks. And so they were able to coach you through it. Yeah, no, I got really lucky, but I'm known for being pretty lucky, though. (laughs) What do you mean? I think one of the biggest things that I realized that I've been really lucky is that I've always been in some kind of probation in my life. It's always academic, but I've always been able to get myself out. Honestly, yeah, I guess there is that certain amount of luck to it. Like you are in the right place at the right time. But I think it also comes down to being prepared. And honestly, you've worked really hard to get where you are. And you also work really hard to move forward with the things that you do. So I think taking the time to recognize that and give yourself props is definitely necessary. You deserve it. Claps for you. Great job. Thank you. Can you use imposter syndrome as fuel or can you use that feeling as fuel? I think if in a way you look at it differently, you can make it as a motivation. With my imposter syndrome, it's like I feel I've never been good enough. And I'm like, wait, no, not that I'm not good enough. Is that I can learn more. I can be better. That's how I view myself up. Because it happened a lot with then when I was taking my computer science class, I'm just like, no, I can't do this. And I was like, wait, no, I can. I just got to work a little harder. There's one mindset where you attribute your successes and your failures to you and your work. The other mindset is where you attribute those successes and failures to things outside of your control. And your mindset might vary depending on whether you succeed or whether you fail. But I think the important thing to note is that there are always going to be things that are out of your control, but you have to focus on the action that you can take towards the goals that you want. And for you, I think that's really awesome that you are concentrating on learning more and working towards learning more so that way you can meet your goals of performing well academically. I mean, honestly, it's just something I got kind of used to. I've been in probation since I was in elementary. (laughs) 
I mean, it wasn't like elementary schools from going from fifth grade to sixth grade. It's because I applied to the magnet program really late. But because I applied late, they're keeping an extra eye on me. And they're like, if your grade goes lower than a 75, you're out. So the whole time in middle school, I felt like they've always had an eye on me. So I've always like, okay, I can't get lower than a 75. And then in high school, I was able to get into this program and merge. And I couldn't have a grade lower than 80s in any of my classes. So when one time I got like a 70 something, they're like, we're going to kick you out of this program if you don't get your grades up. And I was like, oh, no, I got to gotta get my grades up. And now in college with my GPA and I'm just like, OK, I know what to do. I remember I was talking to my friend and then I told her about my GPA and my scholarship and she was really worried. And I was like, no, nah, this has happened to me before. I got it. And then she was worried that I wasn't worried about it. And then when I brought my GPA, <laughs> I told her she was like, you really did have it. And I'm like, I told you. That's a great mindset to have. And I think that's really great that you have that. For the audience, do you have any advice for the audience on today's topic? You're definitely not alone. You just have to find the person who's going to be there for you. And for me, it was my friends, my professors, and even my counselor. And it's just, you're not alone. And exactly like with your story, when you talk to all the other students, you found out they were all feeling kind of the same way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Finding that support in your friends and talking with other people makes everything so much easier because you're not caught in your head. And whenever you start to feel imposter syndrome, usually it's because you're caught in your head and you end up not talking to other people because you're so caught in your head. But I think getting out of that and talking with other people definitely helps reassure yourself that you are definitely not alone in that feeling and in general with working towards the things that you're trying to work towards. How would you sum up what we talked about today? It's really about how you feel and what you can do to get yourself out of feeling imposter syndrome and getting the help that you need from others who can support you. Yeah, also, again, like props to you for actually going to see a counselor about your anxiety and the imposter syndrome as well. Have you like kept up that relationship with them, by the way? So my friend told me, yeah, you should probably go ahead and go to a counselor. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So when I went, I would meet her up almost every week. And then when I started feeling better, we start meeting less and less. Because in my mind, I was like, well, there's probably people that need counselors more than I do. And I'm starting to feel better. And then Corona hit. And honestly, being <laughs> being stuck at home, everything got to my head. When I go back, I'm definitely going to hit up my counselor and be like, got to meet every week again. <laughs> I think it's really good that you made mental health and dealing with your anxiety priority because I think that affects you in so many other areas, socially as well as academically, and it needs to be addressed as a priority. It's difficult, especially right now in times of COVID with being in quarantine and oddly enough, taking those steps to protect the health of yourself, your family, and of those in your community. It ends up also taking that toll on everyone mentally from not being able to go outside to be with different people and to go about life as normal right so I know for sure that you're not alone in that that's something that I see on tv all the time so I'm glad that they're at least talking about that as well have you also thought about doing the online counseling or seeing if your counselor is available via via web or via mobile or via video chats well, I sent them an email. They never responded. <laughs> I probably should have tried and called them. 
I think of it as like momentum. It's really hard to keep up momentum in quarantine if there's not a lot going on and then also if there's a lot of other things going on that aren't working. I do think that you should probably follow up on that email though because that is important. I think one thing that I learned in undergrad was everyone in the world could benefit from talking to a counselor and seeking therapy and and just making time to stop and think about how you're feeling, how you're doing, and why you're feeling that way, and then making adjustments and conscious decisions from there on in order to move forward. It's kind of like making a pit stop for a car, right? Like you have to stop every once in a while, do some maintenance, so that way you can keep going forward. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know where I would be if it weren't for some of the counseling sessions I had. Oh, God, a lot of stuff happened my sophomore year. And it wasn't academically. It was, like, with some of my friends. I lost two of my closest friends to some drama. I don't know what happened. At this point, I can't remember anything because I blocked everything out on my memory. But if it weren't for counseling, I don't know. I wouldn't have been able to deal with it as best as I did at the time. Especially in college and the first couple of years there, you're adjusting to everything new socially. And sometimes you make friends with people who you're really only friends out of proximity. And as you go along and throughout your years, you might find that your friend group might change. I think with any very central change to your life, such as with a friend group, there's going to be a little bit of struggling with that aspect because it is a decent part of your life. Friends are your support system. Friends are how you end up de-stressing. Friends are how you end up having fun. And it makes a lot of sense that if something happens with a friend group, it's going to affect you. And it makes a lot of sense that as a first gen and as a college student in general, there's going to be a lot going on your freshman year and your sophomore year, socially as well as academically. It does take work to find that support group, but it's worth it when you find it. Are you open to being contacted by our audience? Yeah, definitely. If anyone wants to ask me a question or talk more about my experience or like talk about their experience, they can definitely go ahead and ask me. This was uh, a great session. Really great to meet you. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. I really like that I was able to be a part of this. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again to our speaker for their time and sharing their stories, and thank you for listening in. As you heard from Jasmine, imposter syndrome has a big social component that interacts with your personality and confidence. She's a STEM major and minor, acing some of her calculus classes, but as she switches from one major to another, she's finding a need to start over as she enters a new community. And as she does this, she leans heavily on her small circle of close relationships as a support system that has helped her in the past. Jasmine also has her own experience with anxiety that interacts with her imposter syndrome, but has also prepared her. That bit of advice to just stop and breathe. It's almost funny at how simple that is, but how effective it can be. For me, this was a nice reminder, and I think it ties in well with her experience flirting with academic probation. Imposter syndrome and the push to work harder has been something that has almost become her norm and that she has really adapted well to. Sometimes you just need to take a breath, keep calm, and keep working towards your goals. Follow us on social media and share with us your experience or inexperience with imposter syndrome. You can find us at How to 
howtocollegefirstgen.org or at howtocollegefirstgen for Instagram and Facebook and htcfirstgen on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear from us in the future. If you'd like to get in contact with one of our guests, be a guest, or have some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Remember, you are not alone in this journey, and thanks for listening. Until next time.